and I have a special appreciation for elders and leadership of the church. We've been a part of our church down in Littleton, Colorado for 21 years since we moved back in 95 and Bethany Evangelical Free Church. And we've had a variety of roles. We taught the young families class for 12, 13 years, something like that, until none of us were young families anymore. And then for the last six, seven years, we've been teaching the young adult single uh, collegiate group. Uh, Joyce has had various roles uh, in the church, and uh, I led the elder council for five years and had a great experience with our elders. And we love our local church, and it's and as elders, to have elders that love you and pray for you and think about you and care for you, uh, that's what the Bible says we should be doing. So uh, that is great to hear. When Joyce and I first started in ministry in Cadence, our first assignment as young newlyweds was in Baumholder, Germany, and. There was an army, there is an army military installation there, and our responsibilities was to work with the youth, the military youth in that community. In fact, we started that youth ministry up till that point. They hadn't had one. There were three, four hundred military teenagers, and they had their own middle school and high school, and the chaplains asked us to come, and on their behalf, out of the chapel, like your youth pastor does at your church, uh, we ran uh, a youth program for that military community. It was wonderful. It was great. And we ended up out in Germany for 10 years uh, doing youth ministry, leading that youth ministry. Uh, Cadence has, still has youth workers on military bases at various places around the world doing this. We also have a few children's workers. We have a tr retreat ministry. Uh, the main thing we do, though, is hospitality house ministry. We have over 40 homes near military bases that we rent or buy and a family moves in. And they do discipleship and Bible study and counseling out of their home. Uh, hospitality houses. Um, that's what Jim and Nancy did in Darmstadt, Germany. I, I was just thinking about an incident that happened in Baumholder. It really wasn't a youth ministry incident, although we had some of those. Uh, this was just an evening at the chapel where uh, uh, a guest choir from, I believe it was Lee College, uh, was there. Just They were traveling and doing performances for military communities. And they were there in Baumholder, and the chapel, which was pretty large, was just full of military people and their families. And they just started singing all kinds of beautiful music. It was a great evening. And somewhere, maybe two-thirds through the concert, they got to a song that none of us, this was probably 1986, none of us had ever heard this song before. And it goes like this. Because I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the man who died and gave that right to me. And I'll gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. There ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was included in the price of admission. You're welcome. <laughs> well, we were sitting up near the front with some of the youth and some of the youth parents. And right next to me was um, Chief Master Sergeant Dale Purdy. And he was just an awesome guy. Whenever we needed something on that military base, whether it was transportation or supplies or whatever, man, he just, he got it. He was a man's man. He, he was a John Wayne type. And, he, and I just loved him. He was great. Well, when that choir got to, I'll proudly stand up next to you, Dale Purdy jumped to his feet and started singing along with the choir at the top of his lungs. Truly, it was one of the ugliest sounds I have ever, <laughs> ever experienced in my life. It sounded like someone was choking a seal is what it sounded like. Sorry for that disturbing image. But it didn't matter how bad it sounded because we were, all of a sudden, we were all on our feet and singing along with the choir. And there was such a passion and enthusiasm and patriotism for our country. I had never experienced that in my life. I mean, when the choir was done, it was like we had just won the Super Bowl. They were cheering and clapping, and they made them sing the song again, and we sang along with them. And it just went on and on. And Dale Purdy was standing there, and he was crying. 
tears just coming down his face. He was so moved by his love for his country at that moment. And to be there with all those military people and their families, I'll never forget it. We love working with military people for a lot of reasons. That's one of them. For the most part, if you go up to a military person and you say, thank you for serving your country, what are they going to say? I am just doing my duty. There's a sense of gratefulness for what their country has given to them. And they're serving out of that appreciation and gratefulness. And it's beautiful. When I think about Dale's, Dale Purdy's passion and that, that response of gratitude, that is exactly what we want to talk about tonight when we think about God with us and our responsibilities, in our response to God and who he is. Yes, is duty. Yes, we're serving. Yes, it may be hard. But what a privilege. What a joy to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we're going to look back at this passage. So turn to Isaiah 43 if you're not there yet. That would be me. And we're going to look at the names of God in this text. Because when we get to verse 3a, after he's given us these wonderful promises we've been talking about and memorizing, he says, for, because. And then he gives us some names of who he is. And so we want to talk about those names and what it means for us to respond and be responsible to him for who he is. The first thing he says is, I am the Lord. So number one, God is the ruler, and we live to honor him. He's the ruler. We're not the ruler. Nobody else is the ruler. God is the ruler. He is Yahweh, the Lord of heaven's armies. God is in charge. He is mighty and powerful. He is the ruler. And we live to honor this ruler. I love that we sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I love that Mark referred to Isaiah 6. Because Isaiah 6, this prophet who's writing this, in Isaiah 6, we see he lets us in on his commissioning. In the year that King Uzziah died, a national tragedy, a great king. They were in a place of mourning, a place of uh, uncertainty. He's in the temple, and he sees God seated on the throne. And the angels, the seraphs, uh, flying around and calling to each other, holy, holy, holy. And the temple's filling with smoke, and it's shaking. And he says, woe is me, as he throws himself to the ground, for my eyes have seen Yahweh Almighty. I am ruined. Literally means I am coming apart at the seams. Then an angel grabs a hot coal representing purification, touches his lips with it, and he's forgiven. And then God asks a question to Isaiah, who will I send? Who will go for me? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. That's his commissioning. His response to being made aware of seeing the glory of God, this great ruler. There's a sense where all of us are under authority. We're all soldiers in God's army. We live under the rule of our king. And praise God that he is a good, holy, righteous God. He is the king of all of heaven. And we, it's an honor to serve him. It's an honor to be in his army. And we want to live our lives in such a way when we think about Yahweh to honor him and to respect him and to live in awe of him. That's our first responsibility in life. He says, for I am the Lord, your God. For I am the Lord, your God. God is the redeemer. And we live in a grateful grace. We know that by being redeemed, we have been bought with a price, and that is the price of the blood of Jesus. Although this being written in 700 B.C., 
they, he, they still talked about being redeemed people, purchased people, purchased from the slave market of sin. Because God has bought us with his own blood, we want to live in a grateful grace. What does it mean to live in a grateful grace? Well, uh, a couple years ago, as, I was, as we were going through our journey with Kareth, I remember one time I was um, unloading the dryer, and I fold clothes right as they come out, so I stand there for a while. And I was doing that, and I was saying, now, Lord, I know that on this earth you have jobs for us to do that we won't be able to do in heaven. And this earth is such a small part of our life, and, and heaven lasts forever. So what is it that you want us to do while we're here? I know you want us to share the gospel. I know you want that. I get that. I'm, I'm in. I'm all about that. What else? And I just thought about it for a while, and it, and it suddenly realized, I get to offer grace on this earth. And that got me thinking about what else is it that I can do on this planet as I live in a grateful grace that when I get to heaven, it will no longer be one of my major responsibilities. So I want to give you a few points underneath this, what it means to live in a grateful grace um, that I think are our job specifically for the planet in this place. And the first one is that this, this place, this planet, this is the place to share the gospel. We're going to talk about sharing the gospel more in just a little bit. So just for now, I want to tell you that the gospel, that word means good news. And living in a grateful grace means we know we don't deserve this, but we're so thankful. We want others to know Jesus too. Even though I came to Jesus at such a young age, I know that my feet, my little footprints were in that miry clay that Jesus lifted me out of and set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to God. And then the next line says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He saved me for a reason, and I want others to know that too. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is, at is, ugh, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the place on this planet to share the gospel. This is the place to pray and bless. To pray and bless. Now, in heaven, we are going to be talking to Jesus, and we will be blessing each other. But there's this thing on earth that's called the priesthood of believers. And what does a priest do? A priest talks to the people about God and talks to God about the people. And in 1 Peter, he says, you are a royal priesthood. And we have this job on this planet to be able to talk to God about people and to be able to talk to people about God. Our job to pray and bless. Now, I've noticed as I've looked out over your beautiful faces and countenances that quite a few of you here have a crown on your head of, of white hair. It's beautiful. <laughs> and you have come many miles to earn that beautiful crown. <laughs> and, and what I want to tell you is that as we share these things, we realize that every one of us, we got to keep going, and you guys could attest to this, till the very moment Jesus takes us home, right? We're never off duty. We don't get to say, ah, done that, served, loved, now I'm good, catch you later. The truth is that when you get to that season of your life, when you have so much wisdom and so much experience, and I believe that this generation with the white hair are some of the best prayers in the world because they know the importance of prayer. I'm going to show you a picture of my dad and mom. My dad's 90, my mom's 88. And eight years ago when Kareth went off to college and Jonathan was just 10, we had a prayer circle and they, we all prayed, we're all crying and we're sending Kareth off to college. And when, we were, when the prayer circle dispersed and we were going out the door, Jonathan said to me, Mom, when it's my turn to go to college, it better not just be me, you, and Dad. You know, the, uh, the youngest speaking, he said, I want Grandpa here to pray for me. And so I told my dad that, and he said, I'm going to do everything I can to be here while I'm 90. <laughs> and this is the prayer circle for Jonathan just a couple weeks ago. It's so important. It's such a privilege to be able to pray 
We have that gift that any of us can give to anybody at any time. Sometimes they'll know about it, sometimes they won't. I just love praying for people all the time. and They don't know it, but I think I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to go, oh, yeah, you prayed for her and you prayed for him. and You, pray, you know, like, get in on it. Get a piece of it, right, of the action of God's work. Yes. Um, our neighbors know that we're believers. We've had different experiences sharing with them, but one couple that lived down the street, I'd gotten to, she'd asked me to pray for her before she'd had a surgery, and I remember just putting my hand on her arm and praying for her, and she just had tears when it was done, and she just said, that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. You know, we take it for granted. We just hear each other pray all the time, but some of our friends and neighbors don't, and it's a beautiful gift we can give. That same neighbor, Alice, just last fall, I was out watching the sunset. We have beautiful sunset, and I had just come in with uh, heading to the house, and but I stopped to watch the sunset, visit with my cousin for a little bit. She drove by, my neighbor. How are you doing, Alice? I knew her health wasn't good, and her husband had just had foot surgery. Said, oh, my back is just hurting so bad, and I just got groceries. I'm not sure how to get them in, and I said, well, I'll come help you. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I will. So I just walked down the street, brought her groceries in, visited with her and her husband, and um, just, how are you guys doing? Talked to them for a little bit. And I said, well, I'll be praying for you, which I'd said to them before, and I had prayed for her before. But as I walked out, I, I felt like, just turn around and go pray for me. But I was hungry, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I'd been standing there so long, you know, watching the sunset, and this was, and I just kept walking home. And a few weeks later, the phone rang. It was from my neighbor, Alice, and I was in Portland for meetings, and so I didn't get to it. And so the next day I called back that number, left a message, and it wasn't until the next day that I got a phone call from her husband, and I'd just come out of my meetings. I said, I'm sorry, I missed your call, and he said, well, Joyce, it's bad news. Alice had a, her heart went out, and she passed. And I'm sitting in the car, just started to cry. Oh, I am so sorry to hear this. And then as he talked and he told me, he walked me through her passing, I said, you know, the last time I was at your house, just a couple weeks ago, I was going to turn around and pray for you guys. And I didn't do it. I'm so sorry. He said, well, that's why I was calling you. I was going to ask you to pray for me. So I prayed for him over the phone. Just go ahead and grab those chairs there. Pray and bless. Uh, if you sneeze and I say it bless you, I actually mean it. Actually, as a blessing, because I'm in the priesthood of believers, <laughs> right? And so take every opportunity. Bless you. Blessings on you. Bless you. Um, David and I had the privilege in May of being asked to speak for Jonathan's graduation. And uh, we love those kids. We have done, um, pretty soon you'll see a picture. We have done 12 years as... <laughs> we have done 12 consecutive years of being high school parents. And what that means when your kids are in band and choir and sports is that you sit on a lot of stadium seats <laughs> for a lot of hours. And uh, so 12 years of high school, and, and Jonathan was the last, and they asked, the principal asked us to speak at the graduation, which was a joy to do. We love those kids. And as David and I shared, went back and forth like we here only that was seven minutes not as long um, we closed our our time of talking to those kids with words that have been spoken over people for more than 3,000 years they go like this may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you may the Lord show you his favor favor and give you his peace the blessing of Aaron right bless you. This is the place on the, this planet to practice forgiveness. That's one of those things we're not going to need to do in heaven because we won't be sinned against there. Uh, but here on this earth, we get lots of chances to practice forgiveness, sometimes every day. My mentor, uh, Pam Reeve, went to heaven two years ago at age 96. I'm so glad she lived long. Those of you, you know, we want to be long livers, right? Because we need to, <laughs> those of us who are looking to you as our, our mentors. Um, I remember her saying to me, it's unrealistic to expect that everyone's going to treat you right. Really? Sorry, I, I 
optimism. Um, it's unrealistic to expect that everybody's going to treat you well, which means every one of us will get to practice forgiveness, practice forgiveness, and also ask for forgiveness while we're on this earthly journey. Is that all? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. sound of the microphone, right? I'm just a little... <laughs> only me, okay. I'm back, okay. Uh, not too long ago in a leadership meeting where we were away, I was with my leadership team, we're working on serious stuff, and one of my guys was breaking a cardinal rule of mine. He was, he was uh, eating chips. And you don't do that in my meetings because I get so annoyed by extra sound as I've gotten older. And he was just crunching away and the bag was moving. And man, I stopped that meeting and gave him grace. <laughs> uh, some of you are like that, so you understand. I just want to clarify uh, one, one comment I made this morning when I was talking about our reality and facing and embracing and eventually God will erase it. I didn't mean by erase that, uh, that somehow, you know, on this earth we wouldn't have the memory um, uh, or we wouldn't have the scars from it. Even Jesus in his post-resurrected state had scars. I, I was really referring to the impact of it, the power of it will be minimized over time and the pain uh, as well. So I just wanted to clarify that because we're talking about forgiveness while we're here on earth. And I just want to uh, read you a, a few things, just a reminder about forgiveness, some things that forgiveness is and some things that is not. Uh, forgiveness is not minimizing, minimizing the sin. It's not excusing it. It's not denying it. It's not pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not protecting someone from the consequences of their sinful actions. Forgiveness does include being honest about the sin and the hurt and the damage done. And I think it'd be important to note that sometimes Forgiveness takes a long time. It doesn't happen in a moment. Some forgiveness takes years. Forgiveness includes not holding on to the right to punish the offender or take revenge. Forgiveness says, I won't make you pay. I will leave you to God, the righteous judge. <laughs> Bless you. I'll beat her to it. <laughs> and I mean that too. Um, it's been said that bitterness, which is not forgiving somebody and the consequence of it, bitterness is like drinking a cup of poison and expecting the other person to die. Have you heard that? It's like drinking a cup of poison and expecting them to die. Bitterness destroys us. Forgiveness frees us. Next point, freeing ourselves from the paralysis and drain of unforgiveness. Uh, and it might also include protecting yourself from future interactions. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean restored relationships, not always. We, we've both had uh, situations where we've had to make boundaries with people because it was unhealthy to stay in relationship with them after a long process. Um, and that happens sometimes. And the best book I know, we know on this, is Boundaries by uh, Cloud and Townsend. Yes. Um, because sometimes we think forgiveness means I need to be back in relationship. And most of the time it actually does. But there are times where uh, it needs a break in relationship. Okay. Now it's me. Is it? Yep. Not good. Okay, now it's me. I was like, oh, don't skip this point. Okay, and the last thing about the planet, I already mentioned, but it is a point. This is the place to offer grace. Grace is favor we did not earn or deserve and we'll be living in full grace in heaven and we'll be offering it to each other there but it won't be in the same it maybe it'll taste as good to receive it but here on this earth when you get that grace when you receive it it's such a beautiful thing because when we live here under the curse and we receive grace and we offer grace so much life so much life-giving
I want to read you a poem that I wrote uh, trying to put these thoughts together, and I have it in a bookmark that's out on the table there for you to take. So it's by the Cadence Literature, and um, there's a make sure you get your bookmark, okay? This is what it says. I've often heard from sermon and book to choose this life with a heavenward look, to make the most of times to share, to talk of Jesus while we're here. For when our days on earth are done, time to bring good news will also be gone. So I want to tell of my Jesus' love, of the path he made to the Father above. But I've come to see in recent days something else I can do, only in this earth place. For there in heaven, when all is made right, when we no longer sin and there is no night, we will then not need this constant gift, nor will we get the chance of burden to lift, because this is the place to offer grace, to forgive a wrong, to encourage a face. This is the place to lend a hand, to see and smile, to help one stand. This is the place to pray and bless, to calmly carry on in the midst of the mess. This is the place to offer grace, that holy, undeserved, desperately needed taste of a God who loves more than we can know, who respects our choices, yet is not slow in his promise to us as we struggle on earth, but is faithful to the end from our time of birth. Yes, here on this planet, in this time and space, with him we get to offer the gift of grace. I wrote a poem in third grade. <laughs> He's written some stuff. For a Christmas, a Christmas concert. You want to hear it? Want to hear the little poem? Yeah. All right, here it is. I came in second place. Won two Canadian dollars. Christmas is a time for joy for every girl and boy. Lots of toys for everyone if you don't get dumb. Santa Claus is coming tonight, so don't get in a fight. David Schroeder, third grade. <laughs> <laughs> when our kids turn 13... You're welcome. That was also free. Uh, maybe it cost you. I don't know. Uh, when our kids turned 13 uh, and they were transitioning into uh, that stage of life where we're starting that release process, I wrote them all poems about that transition and then read it to them on their birthdays. Except for uh, one of our sons. I let him read it on his own, our older son, because it, it would have been too much for him. But anyway. Okay, point number three. God is righteous and we live in obedience to him. The next name of God or description of God, he's the Holy One of Israel there. God has never made a mistake. He is perfect, holy, just, and good. He can be trusted. Obedience is not optional for the one who wants to walk with God. I think we forget this. They don't forget it in the military community. They're under authority. Obedience is the first response. And I grew up in a, in a culture, in a church, <clears throat> that obedience was the only response we heard. And it was pressure. But really, our response of obedience is that of love and grace to the Holy One who, who has saved us. God is righteous, and we live in obedience to Him. And God is the rescuer, and we live to make Him known. Your Savior, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I need a Savior. And I have a Savior. And this is the main difference between Christianity and every other religion of the world. Because every other religion, there is some way that you work to gain favor or you work to get to heaven. But with grace and with Jesus, we don't have to be good enough, smart enough, faithful enough to get to heaven. Because he came to us. And he has rescued us. And we respond to him. And we want to make him known. This is where we want to talk a little more about what it means to share the gospel. This is something that's very dear to our hearts, not just because we're missionaries. Okay, you, it's, it's easy to think, oh, well, you're missionaries, you're supposed to care about this. But we care about this because we care about a relationship with God. And we feel like this is just a natural outflow of responding to him. In John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the way the message put, puts that is the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. When Jesus came to earth and 
He moved into the neighborhood and he lived among us. And we have kept that in mind. Here's the thing. When we were missionaries overseas working with military kids, there were hard things, but it was so much fun. And we had like a 10% conversion rate every event we did. So if we took 20 kids to a retreat, two of them would become Christians. If we took 300 kids on a retreat, not all from our youth group, but all together, you knew about 30 of them were going to put their faith in Jesus. It was just so exciting to share with military people. They're so responsive. And we thought we were going to live in Germany for the next 40 years, and we were going to raise our kids there, and we'd be there till the last base, close their last door. I mean, we said that, you know. And then in 1995, the board of directors of Cadence International asked David at age 33 to come back to headquarters and be the president. Now, I had grown up in Inglewood when my dad was the president for 12 years, and he thought he was going to be overseas in the Philippines. That's where I'd lived when I was young. And he ended up in the States. Well, we went to Germany, and we were going to be overseas. And now we came back with our oldest at age five, which is the, year I, the age I was when I came back. And that was a sacrifice for us. As much as we love the United States, it was hard to think about coming back. And one of the reasons was it was harder to build relationships here. And we did want to be about sharing the gospel, but it's harder when you go into your house and all the doors come down and the garage closes. And thankfully, we had young children, and so they were out playing, and that was our main connection to our neighborhood. But I remember thinking, the same God that saves military kids overseas is the God I know here, and he loves these people. And so we want to be about his business here, whatever this is like. In our first neighborhood, um, there's one that I know of that became a Christian. I think you ended up talking to a couple adults, too, that maybe put their faith in Jesus. I, anyway, one of them came back to church for the first time in 20 years, and she's walking with the Lord now. But a gal named Hannah was at our house a lot because her parents were going through a lot of difficulties. And um, we got a Facebook, actually our daughter Karis got a Facebook message a few years ago, and Hannah said, you and Justin led me to Christ, your dad baptized me, and your mom taught me the foundations of the faith. Wasn't that sweet? It's true that Karis and Justin prayed with her, and she accepted Christ with them. And David baptized her. I never had a Bible study with her. I taught her the foundations of the faith. I guess that would have meant around the table. And when she spent the night and heard the Bible stories, and when we talked as we just went about our day, because that's how my interaction with Hannah was, and she's walking with the Lord now as an adult. Sharing the gospel, making him known, happens in our season, from our spot, and from ourselves with our gifts. So in that neighborhood, I had small children, and we had contact with a lot of small children in the neighborhood. And our home was a place where they came. We just had our own uh, rule that our kids couldn't spend the night until they were 10 someplace else. But ki other kids could stay at our house. So it worked out that our house was the place to be. That it just, you know, that was, that was nice. It helped everything. Then we moved to Inglewood. And in that neighborhood, our kids were a little older. And it wasn't the same. We weren't in a cul-de-sac anymore. Um, but our focus then was more in being involved in the schools and with our kids and our kids' friends. So we just want to tell you a couple stories of people uh, not because yours is going to look any different, because you come from your season and your spot and your giftings, but here's just what it looked like for us. Uh, the picture that I'm going to show you next is um, Jonathan's toothbrush holder. That picture was just taken a few weeks ago, and I know it's very unsanitary, <laughs> and I don't care, <laughs> because in that tooth toothbrush holder, uh, one, maybe two of those, I don't know, is Jonathan's, and each one of the others belongs to a friend who has a toothbrush at our house. I don't know what I'm going to do with that toothbrush holder now that Jonathan's gone because we don't have the same traffic of teenagers in our house that we've had for the last 12 years. We have had lots of teenage traffic in our home, and they know they're welcome. Kyrie has about four toothbrushes in hers, one and then three friends, <laughs> three, four or five. And then we have this little drawer in the hall closet, and the kids know where it is. If ever they want a new toothbrush, I just keep it stocked, you know, from the dollar store. And 
and you can go get a new toothbrush whenever you want. I see kids in there. Sometimes I'll look down. There's a kid with our, you know, the closet open, and they're, they're pawing in there to see what toothbrush they want. Or if it's their first time at the house, then it's really fun to have the other kids come tell them where it is. But we've had our kids' friends in our home. They know they're welcome. They know they can go straight to the pantry and help themselves to snacks and um, that they're welcome at our table. Sometimes I don't know how many are going to be there for dinner. Jonathan will say, hey, I think I'm bringing a friend for dinner. Great. And four come. Great. You know, you just, I just learned to to make more. Uh, When he was in middle school, every Wednesday night, we said, anybody that wants to come home with you from school, we will pick up, we will feed dinner, and we will take to youth group, and we will take home. So for all of middle school, that's what we did. And every Wednesday, I just knew to make enough for one to five extras. And, and that's what we did. Um, here's the thing about the toothbrushes, though. Every one of those represents, represents something that I love. Those kids are so precious to us. And one of the pains about this season is that we're not going to see them as much. You know, we don't see our kids as much. We're not going to see them as much. But they know we love them. And they'll always be precious to us, and they'll always be welcome. Kyrie's friend, um, Santa, David's going to tell you just a little bit about her, but her dad left her family when she was five. She has no idea where he is or if he's still alive. And uh, so she, as the youngest in that family, was raised by a single mom. She's precious. And, uh, oh, you want, I am? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Keep going. You want me to? Okay, all right. Uh, Well, thanks. (laughs) So Santa was one of Kyrie's friends. And and David, we, we made our kids lunch. We told them they could have lunch money, and then if they wanted to have a sack lunch, they could keep the lunch money. So the olders chose that. The youngers, uh, anyway, we ended up making lunches, and David made more, most of them. So kudos to him. He made most of the lunches. And when I was a substitute teacher, he'd make my lunch too, my peanut butter sandwich. So our kids, <laughs> our, old, our older son said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat another peanut butter sandwich for a long time. <laughs> but he made really good ones, and it turned out that if our kid didn't want to finish the sandwich, there was always somebody would, and they'd say, this is the best peanut butter sandwich ever. And I would say, oh, the secret ingredient is just a little butter. And David says, no, the secret ingredient is love. Well, it turned out, we found out this, that um, Kyrie was sharing her sandwich with Santa. Even though Santa qualified for free lunch, she didn't want to stand in the line. She didn't want to spend her lunch doing that. So then she'd go without eating. And so Kyrie was sharing the lunch. For the whole last year of their senior year, David made Santa a lunch, too. And so two sandwiches went in, and two of everything went in so that Santa had a lunch. When the kids were young, we used to put notes in their lunch. And then when they got to middle school, our older ones said, it's, it's okay if you don't put a note in anymore. <laughs> and okay, we got the message. But then in high school, we'd do just a few times. And uh, near the end of school, David just wrote a note on a scrap of paper for Kyrie and for Santa. And on Santa's, he said, You, daughter, bring so much joy to us. Love, dad. Because he had become like a dad to her. Helped her learn how to drive and all of that. She took that scrap of paper and put it in her clear phone case. And it was there for at least a year and a half. I don't think it's still there because she has a different phone now. But I remember seeing it when I went to visit her in college. She'd walk around with that phone and that little scrap of paper in there. Santa did not know Jesus that whole time of high school. And in the senior year of high school, um, Kyrie and I asked a few of her friends if they'd like to have a Bible study with us. It was a four-week study on how to become a Christian. We said, that way, you'll know. Whenever you decide that you want to make a decision about it, you'll know what it means to be a Christian. And so we went through the four weeks, and there was only one girl, Shelby, who accepted Christ during that time of the three that were in that study. In fact, Shelby did, before it was over, she was... uh, saying to Kyrie, okay, how is this now? What do we need to do? And Kyrie said, well, that's the next lesson is what we need to do. No, you got to tell me now. (laughs) And so she prayed with Kyrie in the car um, to accept Jesus on the 4th of July. So now we celebrate her birthday on the 4th of July. Uh, But Santa, I remember when Shelby told Santa and the other girl, Ari, at the table, I I did this. I prayed to receive Christ. And Santa goes, well, good for you, Shelby. (laughs) 
and I said, well, it's early. And uh, I said, remember, we're just giving you information so that you have the information when it comes time for you to make a decision. Well, Santa went off to George Fox College because we had taken her and a couple friends on a college tour. And so she went to a Christian college, and in November she called. And she said, uh, she said to me, I just want to let you know that you missed my spiritual birthday. What? <laughs> and it was two days before she had put her faith in Jesus. So Santa um, knows the Lord now. I think we have a picture of her. She's the gal right there who sent us that Snapchat um, about to go to a job interview, pray for me. And then she and her sister, Micah, and Steve and Kathy, we were having breakfast with you. It was Micah's sister that texted us this morning. It was car trouble. Um, just saying, I can't get a hold of anybody, and I just want somebody to know that my car just broke down. Yeah, <laughs> so she's graduated from college, but her sister. But anyway, these are precious people to us. One of the things that we did because our kids were so involved in music and uh, sports and in theater is uh, started taking pictures of all the kids after a show. And I did that kind of by accident. Um, just ended up, started taking pictures of my kids and their friends, and then, well, let's just get a picture of everybody. And I gave them some after the show, and it turned out that that meant so much to them. Now, we live in Inglewood, and our demographic is, is a tough one. We've got over half free, free and reduced lunch in our, in our little city. And uh, it turns out that over the years, every single show, somebody, and they could be a lead, would say to me when I handed them their envelope of pictures of them and a little congratulations note, um, they'd say, this is my favorite part of the show. The gal that just had the lead in Into the Woods this spring said that to me. She had just sung and danced her way across that stage. And then I handed her her envelope that I'd had, you know, uh, that morning at Costco. <laughs> you know, the, all, the, all the copies. Okay, it's that time again, and they know me. <laughs> and I'm in, I need several hundred pictures in an hour. Anyway, I handed it to her, and she said, this is my favorite part. I'm going to take our picture next year. I don't know got a really sweet note from another gal who'd never had a lead, but she was in the shows, and it was just on Facebook. She said, Mama Schroeder, I wanted to say thank you in person, but where's the time gone? You've been there for me the last six years. It seems like yesterday you were bringing swimming toys for Jonathan for props for Crazy Camp. That was a show. You've inspired me to be successful and become independent while reconnecting with family. I had no idea. I appreciate you so much. I value you as a person and as a mother. Thank you for being there when my parents worked. You are a parent to many kids at EHS, and you were to me. Again, I had no idea. It's just a blessing to have someone like you in my life. Thank you so much for your help, time, and patience. Thank you for being my friends. When we move into the neighborhood and we make Jesus known, we're not ashamed of the gospel, but we're not there just to tell them the truth, we're there to love, 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 wherever we are, from our season, from our spot, from our gifts, with what God lays on our heart about what these people in our life need. I can't tell you the joy that David and I had when we spoke for graduation and said to those, um, it was about 120 graduates, it's a small school, well, you guys, Summit County, you, you're in our zone. Um, we had written 65 grad cards personalized to 65 of those graduates. That's how many we had relationship with. But when we spoke to them and we entered in and we said, we love you, it, it wasn't news to them. They knew. They knew. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that's how we got to see God and Jesus did that for us. And that's how our people are going to see you too when we do that for them. Joy shared that kids you know, got involved in sports and stuff, but actually our older three just sort of dabbled. And that was a great disappointment to me because I love sports, uh, play a number of them, and, and basketball especially has been sport that I've loved over the years, and uh, our kids were, you know, music, theater, choir, piano, cello, etc. <laughs> this influence over here, beautiful <laughs> influence, but I'm like, where's the jock in the Schroeder <laughs> family? Finally, Jonathan came along, and I thought, oh, I 
think, I think we have one. Not that I love the other kids less. <laughs> uh, you know how that goes. But <coughs> and when we moved back here, I realized we left all our non-Christian, uh, all, I left all my non-Christian friends in Germany. I, I did not know any unbelievers. And if we're going to make Christ known, and if I'm going to lead an evangelical Christian organization whose primary purpose is to share the gospel, well, I am going to have non-Christian friends. Well, I was determined I was going to go out and find them. Well, apparently they're everywhere. They're <laughs> everywhere. I started playing basketball on Tuesday and Thursday at lunch with a whole bunch of pagan guys. And, you know, you have to endure the language and the talk. And, all, but, and it was basketball, and it was good basketball. But over the years, this group played, and we had them to our home, and I was able to share Christ with a number. And when the opportunity came to coach basketball at the middle school when Jonathan was playing, man, I jumped at it. And that started uh, six years of coaching and a couple of years at the middle school, and then opportunity at the high school came up, and I jumped at that, playing with the freshman, uh, coaching the freshman team, and and then by the end I was assistant varsity and JV coach, and just love this group of you know, guys. You got a picture of them? Yeah. There we are, Coach <laughs> Schroeder. Uh, Inglewood is become pretty urban. It's the next suburb out of Denver. Uh, there's just a lot of brokenness uh, in Inglewood. Uh, so many of these boys that have coached over the years, uh, a number of them never had a parent even come to a game uh, for a bunch of reasons. And uh, just a lot of broken home situations, a lot of really uh, tough boys. And, you know, in a public situation, I can't be overt about my faith, but there's lots of ways to bring the gospel into the neighborhood in a situation like that. And it was just a, a real joy to be there and to coach all the way through Jonathan's high school career. And, and it's grueling. If any of you coached, I don't know. It's just a grueling schedule. I'm too old for it. Uh, so I, I hung up my, I, I'm still playing basketball. I played this last Wednesday, had 11 points and four rebounds. <laughs> <laughs> but now it takes me three days to recover. I have to ice <laughs> my back anyway. Okay. But I just want to tell you, for instance, uh, one young man, Vic, uh, when he was a senior, um, a, a big, husky, uh, troubled young man, he said this, because they, they've been not only uh, experiencing me as a coach and a Christian, but uh, experiencing Jonathan in my relationship, which is really good. He, says, I don't, he said to me, I don't have a dad in my life, but watching you and Jonathan, now I know what kind of dad I'm going to be. And I have a vision for the kind of relationship I can actually have with my son. That kind of impact. And I was able to have an impact on the other coaches. There were three different varsity coaches in the four years I, I was at the high school. And this last year, this last season, they brought in a young, single whippersnapper, know-it-all. Man, was that stretching for me. I mean, I've been in leadership positions all my life. And now I'm, you know, the assistant coach to this young whippersnapper. Woo, that was humbling. <laughs> I, you know, he was a great guy, but it was challenging. Well, we're, we're, we're just about to start a game, and there's two other assistant coaches, and he's pacing the sideline, you know, getting ready to tip off, and he turns to the coach, and he says, I need every one of you coaches. And he turns to the first coach, and he says, man, I need you for strategy and plays. You're great at that. And he looked at the other coach, and he said, and I need you for helping me with the administration and details. I so appreciate it. And he goes, Coach Schroeder, I, I depend on you for that damn good Christian morality. <laughs> That damn good Christian morality. I love that. I mean, despite the incongruence of that sentence, <laughs> I actually was impacting not only his language, but how he treated the men. It's just, back to our first talk, who are you? And, and what are you good at? And where are your connections to the non-Christian world? And whether, whatever stage of life you're in, uh, build those relationships. We didn't have some grand strategy to take impact, you know, Inglewood for Christ. We just did the next thing that was in front of us and built that next relationship. You can do that too. That's what it means. For I am the Lord, the ruler, God Almighty. Yes, sir, we say. Your God, Redeemer. And we live in a grateful grace the Holy One of Israel, righteous, never made a mistake, 
And to that Holy One, we owe thanks. Your Savior, Rescuer, he's come to rescue not only us, but he longs that all might come to repentance. And we got rescued not because we're so great or lucky, but because we were chosen and honored by that. And we want everybody to experience that joy, that peace, that solid place that no matter what happens on this planet, I know that I've got God and he's got me no matter what. And I know how my story ends no matter what happens on the planet. I know I have heaven with him, meaningful work and all kinds of exciting things to be me in my fullest as I'm to be forever. And I'm so, so grateful. This is the Lord who's with us, with us, with us right here. In us, like blood in our veins, the Holy Spirit. Over us, the Heavenly Father, always looking out for us. And beside us, Jesus in a body, still in a body, still knowing what it's like to walk the planet in a body. We are covered by the Lord who is with us, with us, with us. Okay, last thing. What does it mean for our three objectives? It's, this is easy. I hope it's clear to you. Refreshed? We're going to be the most alive when we're serving God, when we are doing what he wants us to do. That serving him is what gives us life and joy. If you're feeling a little stale and dead inside, go find somebody to serve. Go take a cup of cold water in Jesus' name to somebody. You'll be surprised what that does inside. If the light is dim on the inside, maybe it's because we've stopped shining it on the outside. Shine it on the outside. That's where the oxygen to the fire comes from. Connected, this is where we are battle buddies. We need each other. It's a dark world. It's a spiritual warfare. And boy, this is where Hebrews says, encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today, because we need each other and, of course, our purpose. If God puts you in a dark place, it's because he wants a light there. Be a light. Let's pray. Lord, This body, Dillon Community Church, is precious to you. You are doing a work in and through them. We don't know where they're connected in that community, but you do. And we want to keep moving with power and love and strength into that neighborhood. Would you just, I pray, Lord, for this, your light in that community, that you would brighten it even more, that you would send it even further that you would give our brothers and sisters a courage and ideas and take the step of relationship. And I pray to this end, amen.